guys, and welcome to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. I've actually gone to a farm today, which is really exciting. I'm doing more, I'm starting to do more of these again, um, because of course we have been very Zoomified the last few years, um, and now I'm in Somerset, literally as of a week, I thought, well, my guest today isn't that far away, because how big can Somerset be? Well, it turns out Somerset can actually be quite big. I've come up to northeast Somerset, uh, pretty much between Bath and Bristol, and I'm here with Emily Adicott Suavo, uh, who has actually been on the podcast before, but in a very sort of in a in a, in a linked way because uh, she was she featured in our harvest special um, this year. Emily's an arable farmer. Um, also have a vineyard here, um, but she used to work in the equine industry before mm. she got into farming. Um, and uh, she's also, which I've learnt just before this interview, she's into her Wim Hof. Um, which is intriguing. If you don't know what Wim Hof is, I'm sure we'll talk about that today. But Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And and thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm glad you could make it up. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's um, Somerset's much bigger than you kind of first think. It's it's a huge county. Yeah, it is. And massively diverse It's partly what attracted me down to here in the first place. Um, Mm. And and I'm really enjoying getting to to know it more. Um, But Bath, Bristol, North East Somerset, um, for anyone who doesn't know it, I know a little bit, but just tell us what it's like. Um, so we are really lucky. The farm is situated five miles from the centre of Bath. So uh, here it's predominantly sort of dairy, dairy and arable. What you quintessential sort of Somerset countryside is rolling hills and lots of little fields and yeah. hedgerows and... Um, but uh, to me, it's the, the most lovely county. I love living here. Yeah. It's, uh, we were saying yeah. before we started recording, well, it's, it's agroforestry before the word agroforestry was invented. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really small, awkwardly shaped fields, um, yeah. but with really ancient hedgerows. And you kind of think, you look back on what our ancestors did and uh, they were ahead of their times really, aren't they? We've yeah. kind of reinvented the wheel in a way. With all that sort of stuff. But, yeah. uh, and did you grow up in this part of the world? Yes. So I originally, um, my parents um, are from North Devon, so sort of Crediton yeah. area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They moved up here uh, to Stratton on the Foss, which is about nine miles from here. That's the family farm for a few years. And then we are all uh, Dutch Cornwall tenants. So and um, dad took the tenancy of this farm uh i think it was 1985 so we moved here as a family then so yeah the, my sort of earliest memories are from here so, yeah yeah and you're the only female duchy of cornwall tenant i am that is um i don't know how many duchy tenancy arable tenancy yeah. or, or sort of agricultural tenancies there are um, and i'm the only female <laughs> That's incredible. I don't know why. I wish yeah. I wasn't the only female. <laughs> I think I think it's uh, changing. So you took over the tenancy in twenty eighteen. Did you have a sort of cross it over period when you were here on the farm before, or yes. was it straight onto the farm? Yep. So I've actually worked on the farm since I was sort of mid twenties, uh, and I took on. Uh, well, I was I was sort of working full time for several years I had a bit of a midlife or quarter life crisis where I was like I don't know if I want to do farming and I sort of moved to London for a 
literally for about 12 months thinking, I don't want to do this. And London chewed me up and spat me out. And I went, maybe I do want to do farming after all. I can't cope with city life. So I came back and and then I, I uh, became a partner in the farm. So I was a partner in the farm for about 10 years. Uh, the succession for for Dutch Cornwall requirements is that you you are working, you know, your main income is from the income of the farm for at least seven years, I think it is. Okay. So I did that for, yeah, te- partner for 10 or seven years. And then, um, uh, and took on the tenancy 2018. So Yeah. And yeah. before that, we're, normally we move the other way, but we're going to move, <laughs> moving further back. Yeah. Before that, uh, you were working with horses. Yes. From leaving school? Yes, so I was not interested in farming at all, but mad keen on horses. And we were really lucky here, actually, because we had a riding club just over the hill. We had lots of little shows and gymkhanas and and trials that I could ride to from here. And they've all gone now, which is really sad, because actually that was just brilliant as as a child to sort of saddle up with your little picnic and off you go for the day with you know a bit of cash so you could enter in the egg and spoon race yeah, in the yeah. gymkhana or do a clear round the lanes have got so busy now with traffic that uh, neither of my two girls are mad keen on horses and I haven't really encouraged it because I sort of feel like it, <laughs> we just don't have the access yeah, you know yeah. the availability or access that I had as a child here but anyway that that was really my passion and and when I was at school, I spent the entire time staring out the window wishing I was riding horses and doing that sort of thing. So I left school I uh, at the end of my GCSEs and I went to work for an event rider uh, locally, uh, Ginny Elliott, and worked for her and then sort of got some experience up and then I was able to travel a bit with with grooming and, and I worked on stud farms, so as a stud hand and I sort of thought I could make turn it into career, but then I realised when I was about sort of 20, 21, that actually I wasn't particularly good at riding. Okay. <laughs> uh, so then I had a sort of, was that a crossover? What am I going to do? I, do I carry on with this? Even though I really didn't think I was probably good enough to do it as a career. And so whilst I was deciding, I helped Dad out on the farm doing right. har- harvest. Okay. And then I sort of thought, actually, I quite enjoyed this. I, <laughs> I quite enjoyed this farming malarkey. And, and that sort of... So that's, that, that's when it that, started. That started. Let's talk a bit about the farm here. What, what are your soils? So we're Cotswold Brash. So we're very thin ground nice. here. Um, you walk around the farm and you find anamites and fossils and it quickly remind you that she used to be seabed that's a very that's a very nice way of looking at cultural <laughs> brash no one's no one's said that to me before yeah <laughs> uh, oh, okay so this is the seabed <laughs> we would have a million years of ago been swimming here which is quite alarming really when you kind of you know you think of the history of this place so very thin soil mostly cotswold brash got a bit of clay and Bit of everything in between. And what are your sort of main challenges farming here? Well, we grow wheat, winter wheat, winter barley, 
this year we're growing a selection of spring crops or next year we'll be growing a selection of spring crops or for this rotation which is winter linseed quinoa and beans um just as the rotation sort of would normally go for quite so many spring crops but it's just from 20 was it 28 19 when it was so wet it yeah, kind of stuffed up our yeah. rotation and we're sort of still trying to correct ourselves a little bit but um so our challenges is really that it gets very dry here um and so we can get caught out in in really dry years so we've been working really hard towards improving the soils so that we can stand long periods of dry which is quite a new phenomenon really isn't it i mean I know you talked to Dad and we, this year, you know, 1976 popped up quite a few times with the dry weather. But, you know, we have fairly decent amount of rainfall and we don't really, we're not used to such prolonged periods of dry. Whereas now it seems quite sort of a, a yearly occurrence, doesn't it? Yeah, that yeah. we get a really dry I mean, spring. A lot, lot of the eastern counties are already forecast to still be in drought from this current season yeah, right. well into next spring. Yeah. So it's yeah. um and it's just and and similarly yeah this is now a broadening story it's yeah quite yeah terrifying actually. yeah well sort of monsoonal season is now which seems to be quite standard weather pattern and then just extremely long periods of dry and so in the spring and summer so that that is our challenge on this farm is mm. is is keeping the soils um from drying out really. When did you establish the vineyard and why did you want to do that? The vineyard was established in 2015 and that was really because my husband is, he works in IT and we are only 320 acres. Yeah. Uh, we are surrounded by other Dutch Cornwall farmers and land around here, which is probably the same as everywhere. If an acre of land comes up, it's probably in excess of £10,000. Yeah, so, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So we are just at that point of going, well, what do we do? We can't expand. We're always, I'm always nagging the landlord. Oh, I'd like some more, more land, but everyone's asking for the same. So, so what do you do? We, we looked at the farm and thought, well, let's try and grow some premium crops so that we can really upsell which kind of what we have what, and work with what we have. So we'd actually been on a visit down to France and I'm my families half the families from France so we had been down to visit them and looked at some vineyards and my husband was like you know the soil's quite similar to our soil and then we came home and he he was really sort of had a, a handle on it then and was sort of doing a lot of investigating and we had a company called Vineworks come and and sort of do a survey on the farm and said yeah this would be a great spot for a vineyard. Now, actually, over the hill, there's a from, from the kitchen window you can see um, a big hill. Yep. That is actually an Iron Age fort. On the mm-hmm. other side of that hill are actually Roman terracing, where they actually had a, a Roman vineyard. Wow! So we're like, well, if the Romans could do it, <laughs> why can't we? <laughs> yeah, why not? You know. So, uh, so. So it was really Ed's kind of push. I sort of went, okay, yeah, let's give it a go. I was a little bit hesitant at the beginning, but uh, 
it's actually worked really well. So Ed does the front front of house stuff, as I call it. So all the marketing and the sales and that yeah. sort of thing. And I've learned on the job how to to manage the vineyard. And uh, so so now it's seven years old and really quite established now. It's a bit of a labour of love at times. It grows like crazy once it starts going and there's just always something to do. Mm. Um, and obviously a lot of it is labour, very, very labour intensive. And you're also reliant on nice spring weather. Yes, yeah. Um, and the other weather event that seems to be most common now is no frost in the winter when you yeah. want it. You get frost in late May, so yeah. we've been stung a couple of times with frost, uh, which is just how it seems to be now. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of fruit growers obviously struggle mm. with that as well. So. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's look at the arable. Um, obviously, input costs are still probably the biggest headline mm. um, on arable farmers' minds currently. Uh, how has that affected you on your farm? Um, it's, yeah, it's a real challenge. Uh, we are conventional, although I've been using, trying to experiment with, I guess, non-conventional, uh, methods, um, and such as under sowing clover into, uh, spring crops and that sort of thing with varying degrees of success. Uh, this year was not successful at all because it was just so dry. The yeah. clover's got going now. So, you know, the second crops, I mean, the clover does take a while to get going, but we have all these ideas of how we can not be conventional, but you are still up against weather events and um, against the elements. Uh, so sort of having, being a conventional farmer, and you're having all these input costs at the moment, it's just crippling yeah. in all honesty. And I, in fact, it's really pushing me now towards thinking about the organic conversion, which is something I've wanted to do. And I've been sort of working towards it, trying to um, be in a position that I can say, right, okay, I've, I, I feel confident in how I can farm without the reliance on agrochemicals and um, artificial fertiliser. And yep. uh, now I might really got my head down and think that this is the only way forward. We're supposed to, as farmers, be able to forecast our business and figure out what's coming up. And, and at the moment, it's just impossible. And it feels like the prices have, have gone so high and people have been buying fertiliser at this price, that do you think it's ever going to come down? I can't see it happening. It feels like the, the, the price of grain has dropped off. It rallied a little bit. This it depends what Putin's doing, but it tends to have a little rally and then it drops back. And, and that gap between the market price and our input costs are just widening all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly, you look at the oil price, hey, can it go back down to where it was? No. In fact, I don't think it's gone below a pound a litre all summer. It's staying up there. I mean, thankfully, we haven't used too much fuel this year, but it's, thank goodness, we had a hot summer. (laughs) That's all I can say, because our dryer costs, you know, would have been just... That was, yeah, that was actually the silver lining for a lot of people, wasn't it? It was, yeah. At least this year. Yeah, Um, yeah. Mother Nature came to the rescue somewhere. 
Yes. Um, before we start, before I start recording it with anyone, um, any previous guests will know this. I'll give you a long list of, of questions to sort of get to know the place a little bit more. And um, uh, one of the topic areas that you said you wanted to talk about was the general arable supply chain, um, mm. the general grain supply chain. Um, and of course, the issue here, the obvious issue is that, um, well, as a farmer, you have pretty much no control over, over your sort of space in that. So you're very much a, a price uh, taker as opposed to price maker. Mm. Um, you've, you've got the floor here to, to sort of put, put your view across on, on this issue. Gosh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because not only are we dealing with extremely high input costs at the moment, but we have such a fickle government that is just providing no solid foundation for any decisions. And I, you know, where we're looking for leadership, we're just not getting it. And I feel like we're pretty powerless at the moment. We, for instance, I we sold some grain this week. Off it went to Portbury and I got a claim on it. You know, you know, you know when you send grain off, you have in your bones that it, it, it's a, a good sample, you yeah. know. And th- this goes off and, you know, they're still claiming 10%. I said, that's absolute rubbish. I'm sorry, that's rubbish. I want a recount and all this sort of stuff. But it's gone then. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's been ticked and it's on a boat somewhere. Yeah. And and you're completely powerless. And you ask for a re- you're relying on somebody to actually make sure that they've got the, the name and that sample matched to the right uh, lorry. And, you know, we keep samples ourselves. So it, well, it doesn't match the sample that I have. And so... They know full well that you're not going to spend more than £8 a tonne on getting an independent advice on that sort of thing. Then we've got the issue of Red Tractor, which I just think is ridiculous. I think we've got to a point where it's the sort of uh, the tail wagging the dog, you know. I've got a Red Tractor inspection coming up, actually, and, and I'm just sort of walking around the farm going, right, got to do that, got to do that, because I know any tiny little thing... They will pick through every single hole. And I had a terrible time earlier this year with them. And really, I don't think for any value, you know, I don't see the value in it all. We do need to know that grain is produced to a certain standard and that it is of a certain quality. But when they are nitpicking over whether you ticked that box or ticked that box which really has no relevance to the quality of grain uh, you're producing I just think we've just got to a point where we've just got to, to draw the line and say no come on we this this energy that we're putting into filling out pointless yeah. forms could be better spent on actually educating ourselves to farm better yeah. what's next for you on the farm so we're looking into this organic conversion. I think that's going to be something we'll look deeply into because we aren't set up with, I think, to be organic, you definitely need to have livestock in the rotation. I work really closely with a shepherd. So we, we've been all arable for however many years we've been here. And in the last three years, we have introduced sheep back into the rotation. So uh, between our barley and spring crops, I'm putting cover crops. And so the sheep will come out, graze back cover crops and ready for planting. And that's 
work really well. I've got a good relationship with the local shepherds. So I'm sort of wanting to perhaps look at organic conversion and figure out how we can work more together. The reason sort of we've held back from that decision is really just the infrastructure of having livestock here. You know, it's just, it's none of our fields are stock proof and we don't have really stock barns or anything. So, or experience yeah. for that matter. I mean, I couldn't look after a horse, but I don't think I could look after <laughs> a flock of sheep or herd of cows or whatever. So I, you know, it's working uh, with with the shepherd and 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 working towards that. So that's what I that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what we'll be looking into. Uh, in addition to that, I'm working with a bakery in Bath, and I'm trying to get to a point where I can do more direct sales. So we are so lucky because we're based between Bath and Bristol. It's so close. Uh, there's there's some lovely bakeries, and I'm just uh, getting some some milling wheat cleaned. That's going to go to a bakery soon, and so I'm really hoping to develop those relationships locally so that we can do more direct sales and really cut out the middleman. Because going back to our conversation earlier, you know, we we are completely controlled by all these outside factors and we need I feel we need to just gain control of that. Um it's it's not very easy. I sell my quinoa directly to delis and farm shops and refill shops. And you know it it takes a lot of time, lot of time. to, to yeah, yeah. get around, meet people, let them know you're there. And I think farmers are good at growing stuff. I don't think we're good, very good at sales on the whole. So it's something that we need to do more of, I think, and and just get out there and so build it, build these relationships really. Anyone who doesn't know the context behind this is going to think, think this is, the next question is very strange, but have you had your cold shower today? <laughs> I have. It's probably yeah. should, should give the context of this. This has relation to Wim Hof. If you don't know Wim Hof, Google him now. So the crazy, about, mad Dutchman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Iceman. So at six o'clock this morning, I was sat in my little cold ice bath. <laughs> wow. And I'm very impressed. A very cool eight degrees. Yeah. <laughs> So just that we, we've actually got a, a footpath that runs down in front of the house and then it goes out through the garden. And, and yeah. I always just sit in my little bath thinking, I wonder if anyone walks through this footpath and you see me sat there so shivering away. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, but generally speaking, do you, do you find benefit in it? I do. I, I'm, I have a real keen interest in sort of health and well-being and I sort of got into it when... Uh, probably about a year ago sort of having cold showers and then I did a course earlier this year and yeah I just love it it's kind of got a weird addiction mm. <laughs> I think farming is quite stressful isn't it and it just it really helps you focus the mind it's great for stress if you if you just feel stressed jump in a cold shower for yeah. two minutes and honestly you just come out buzzing yeah. you know it's so like I think, a real I think natural what, what I was told about it was yeah, because largely it's about putting yourself out of your comfort zone isn't it yes. and the more more you do that yeah. when you actually come across 
genuine issues, then you should, in theory, be yeah. better actually approaching those yes. because you're used to putting yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of, it gets you in a quite a meditative state Yeah, because actually you're focusing on your breathing and you're really blocking everything out because it's so cold that that's all you can think about is is yourself and 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 breathing for me i it i just love it and it's become this really strange addiction yeah i'm yeah. I, i'm impressed with the ice bath I've, I've gone as far as the cold showers yeah but when it comes to yeah i do you know i was having an ice bath I ice know. bath I is should. i find easier in the shower okay because i don't know the shower you can get out yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can move away too easily. You I don't know, once you're in, you're in, and that's it. It's just, you know, but yeah. Uh, we're going to wrap it. things up. We always finish the show with the same two questions that I'm going to ask you now. Uh, the first is, Emily, if you have a message for the public, mm-hmm. any message, what would it be? It would be to say thank you. Um, I think at the moment we are in such a difficult time everyone's in a difficult time we're overrun with bills I mean we're you know the, talking about input costs on the farm is not isolated to farming it's it's everybody has this problem don't they the food heating everything has gone up and I think people we bang on about supporting British agriculture and all this sort of stuff but it actually takes concerted effort to look for the red tractor, to look for British produce food. And it's not always the cheapest. And so people who really go out of their way to try and buy British, I think, thank you very much. And, you know, we we appreciate it. And it's it's um, it doesn't go unnoticed. And finally, a message for farmers. Hang in there. <laughs> I think that's what everyone's saying at the moment, week in, week out. Yeah, I think, uh, do you know, the thing I love about farming is I was at a funeral yesterday Mm. with just about, I think, every farmer from Somerset was at this funeral. And we all have a good old moan and a good old laugh, but it's such a supportive industry. And I love that about farming. I don't think there are many industries where you, your neighbours are not seen as your competitors. They are seen as your friends and your neighbours and support. And I, I just think that's quite a unique thing about farming. And so talk to your neighbours, talk to your Instagram friends that you meet, you know, other farmers. I think, you know, I chat to quite a few people sort of across the country and um, I think it's just really important that we we keep talking because no, we're not alone. Um, we're we're all in it together, and I'm, you know, it makes me sad when I I do see sort of a bit of bickering going on 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 social media between farmers because actually, I think as a whole we're all trying to do our best, and we need to realise that not everybody is from the same background and so encouragement is key i think well thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh it's, been, no, it's, a it's been such a pleasure to actually meet you yeah. <laughs> i've followed you on instagram for quite a while now and you know, yeah. watch your stories and so to actually be here and, and, and see you is, is been fantastic so oh, yeah, thank you for telling us a bit about your story and uh yeah your thoughts on the industry 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually going looking looking at the farm a bit. Yeah, great. Let's do it. <laughs> so we're out at the yard. Um, has, has the yard changed at all since you've been? How, that, how long have you been here as a family? We moved here. Well, Ed and I moved here in 2018 into the farmhouse. Um, but as a, I, as a family, the whole family moved here in 1984. So yeah, it's changed massively. I mean, once when when Mum and Dad moved here, this was was uh, a livestock farm really, and okay. this was just knee high in mud. Yeah. So they pretty much concreted the entire farm and tidied it up. And this is what we're standing in now is the old mill, uh, which is now our sort of kind of vineyard store for all our dinky vineyard equipment yeah which is in, in usual ways small means more expensive normally yes <laughs> yeah the vineyard tractor i think is worth more per horsepower <laughs> than any other tractor we've got <laughs> it's, uh, but um actually for for a little thing it's quite a high spec tractor but um yeah i mean, yeah, I mean talk quite... us through just for uh for running a vineyard for managing a vineyard what, what do you need in terms of kit so we don't use herbicides in the vineyard. We, we manage the vines as sort of with as much organic sort of practice as possible. So, so no herbicides. So we have a an under vine mower. So that has sort of arms that that go in under the vines and keep keep the grass down. The up and over, what I call the up and over, is the the trimmer that sort of your trim either side of the the vines throughout the year um, to trim back any excess growth yeah. so it's almost like a like a side arm of some of some kind yeah yeah that's a fun job that's one yeah, of my favorite jobs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of instant uh, it's very satisfying because you've kind of got these instantly neat rows which yeah. is lovely <laughs> Uh, but yeah, a lot of kit actually, because the rows are only two meter spacings, so it's very very narrow. And I think some of the some vineyards are sort of two point two, two point five meters now. In hindsight, we would have made our rows wider. It's kind of an interesting industry, really, because in the seven years that we've been doing it, it's so much more accessible now. We've got some really good dealers who were de- dealing with some great uh, vineyard equipment a lot more contractors now and it's just really an industry that's flourishing now yeah i love how you also have a scythe on the wall yes (laughs) how often does that get used (laughs) not very often (laughs) yeah sorry i'm just i'm just looking over into the other barn this is not something you often see in (laughs) many farm yards but you've got a double deck you've got two double decker buses one open top yeah, so that, that, that is, we do sort of vehicle storage. So these, these buses are... Ah, that makes sense there. Yeah, they stay here and owned by bus drivers and they have buses as a sort of hobby as well. So. Okay. <laughs> Flail on the yeah. back of the tractor currently. Yeah, yeah, just getting some hedge trimming done. I try, try and do it sort of... A bit later when the berries have gone and uh, before it all starts growing again. But yeah, just sort of winter jobs, really. Yeah. Um, and in the corner, I'm sm- I can't believe I'm actually seeing this in the flash. Yeah. I'm, 
listeners, I'm looking over into the corner of the barn at the beautiful yellow. This is, but this is, it's not just a claim <laughs> drill. This is Emily Adacott Suavo's claim drill. <laughs> and I've always wanted to ask you this question. It's like, why, why is this, why is this Clayton so special for you? It's like a friend. It is ridiculous. What a thing to be If you don't follow Emily on Instagram, then you probably won't understand this. But um, yeah, my, my, yeah, really questionable uh, love affair with my Clayton drill. So we, we've also got in the corner our, my beloved plough, which we don't really use anymore. I used to love ploughing. It's absolutely my most favourite thing to do. Okay. But, and on the other side, we've got our Cavellan combination drill. Yeah. And so we moved away from traditional sort of plough, combi drill uh, uh, sort of method. And... Uh, Looked at, we were looking at minimal disturbance kits, really, or, or disturbance drills, so that we could start growing cover crops and to really build up the organic matter in the soil. Because, as I said earlier, we're on such thin ground here, it would dry out very quickly. We had a demo two or three years ago, and we tried a couple of different drills, and Clayden is the one. Isn't she beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, she is. Uh, it's just simple. There's yeah. just nothing on it that could possibly. There's just nothing complicated about it, you know. I love it because this year, especially, ticks over at sort of 1300 revs and quietly tick along and uh, don't really use a lot of fuel. And, and I think of what we would have used in in a sort of traditional plough and combination drill at this year would have been just ridiculous that sort of you're paying £1.15 a litre. Mm. So, yeah, it saved us an ever such a lot. And we're just thrilled with how, how well it's... The cereals especially just look absolutely wonderful with the Claydons. So, uh, no, it's been great. I think I think the Clayden family should, should give you some commission, I think, for, I think for, so. for publicising these, I, to be honest. Yeah, I've been... Going on about it long enough, haven't I? <laughs> Some merch. <laughs> Come on, Clayton. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> so, yeah, Jeff Clayton, if you are listening, then please get in touch with Emily. Um, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. That was Emily Adicott Suavo on today's show. Massive thanks to her for showing me around the farm. That is it for today. Um, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. And please also support us on Patreon. Um, massive thank you to anyone who is, who is already. You can join the Meet the Farmers Supporters Club by visiting patreon.com forward slash meet the farmers. And in time, that'll just allow me to do more, really. Uh, next time on the show, we're heading to Shropshire to speak to James Edwards from JJ Livestock Solutions. I hope you can join me then. I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you all have a great week.